Hello and welcome to the MIC Plus One podcast, where I sit down with industry leaders to discuss the project to product movement. I'm Mick Kirsten, founder and CEO of Tastop, and best-selling author of Project to Product, How to Survive and Thrive in the Age of Digital Disruption with the Flow Framework. Hello and welcome to the Mick Plus One podcast, where I sit down with industry leaders to discuss the Project to Product movement. I'm Mick Kirsten, founder and CEO of Tastop, and best-selling author of Project to Product, How to Survive and Thrive in the Age of Digital Disruption with the Flow Framework. Joining me on today's episode is Sejal Amin, Chief Product and Technology Officer of Koros, a Vista portfolio company. Sejal is a senior technology executive and product development expert with over 25 years of experience leading large teams through cultural, operational, and technology transformations for software as a service initiatives. Over the years, she has led several enterprise-wide transformation initiatives focused on project-to-product transitions, organizational transformations, technology portfolio redesigns, and the building of high-performance product development cultures to keep pace with a rapidly changing technology environment. It was a pleasure to sit down with Sejal and learn more about her journey and her learnings, driving innovation and communicating how to approach flow, measurement, and outcomes all the way up to the board of directors. So with that, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Project to Product podcast. I am thrilled to have Sejal here with me. And Sejal and I connected, uh, it was a year and a half ago, I think, Sejal, right? That's right, yeah. When yep. we were, I think we were both trying to better understand how to structure organizations for product innovation and really drive the shift from project to product. Uh, I think you were still at Thomson Reuters back then. So we'll, we'll talk about your own personal transition and, and uh, how you've evolved your career. But we were both very interested in, in understanding how to structure leadership, how to structure metrics, how to structure, structure for team effectiveness, and really kind of drive that, that change to innovation. So, Sejal, why don't you just start us off with just a little bit of background on, of, your, of, of where you started, why you got interested in these topics, why this article that you and I talked about around transitioning to chief product and technology officers, after you wrote it, after a chat, all of a sudden people started sending it to me saying, look, Mick, this is, this is, this is how we should be thinking. This is how we should be, how we should be structuring organizations. So tell me sort of, and really tell our audience around your starting point as, as CTO, uh, what you learned and how that inspired you to start talking to others about this, to start doing all of this thought leadership in the, in the Forbes Technology Council and, and, and elsewhere, and, and how it brought you to your current role as Chief Product and Technology Officer at Koros. Excellent. Uh, first off, Nick, thank you so much for having me here today. So just a little bit of background about me. I've spent the last 25 years in, in various engineering roles. I operated in various heads of engineering and most recently as a CTO for a few years in a large-scale operational role at Thomson Reuters. Um, but during that time, I will tell you I was incredibly, I was incredibly obsessed over very much focused on the intersect of product and technology and what made that relationship work. And so over the years, that's evolved in, in incredible ways. And so as I was thinking about what was next, I got involved in some thought leadership that really that talked about how to lead teams, product development teams specifically, to high performance. And during that time, I started writing for Forbes. And during my search, I, I met several chief product and technology leaders. And so started exploring that as an option. And here I am now as a CPTO in a CPTO role for a smaller company called Coros, which is part of the Vista portfolio. And it's been an incredible experience so far. 
And what was it back at, at Thomson Reuters? What, what, what were the problems that you were seeing in terms of product and technology and, and business? Because I think you, know, you and I were, were chatting when you were trying to drive change there. So what was easy? Yeah. What was hard? Yeah, you know, um, I don't know that anything was easy, <laughs> right? Um, and I wouldn't say that about Thomson Reuters, but just in any context, um, there's always a challenge with, there, there's always challenges. But I'd see, look, some of the challenges were really around the ability to, as an example, create jointly owned outcomes. I've seen many organizations who operate in silos with product as with one set of OKRs and technology, another set. And um, those two rarely intersected. It was incredibly and completely counterintuitive. And over the years, I've seen organizations struggle to reach over that wall and plan plan value-based outcomes together. And in the organizational model I'm in today, it really breaks that wall down. You know, and some of the other some of the other challenges I saw in larger organizations is difficulty in eliminating barriers in that relationship. You know, it, it I would call it um, the fuzzy middle, right? And what I mean by that, it's the messy reality of product design, experimentation and delivery, and how we work together through all of that. It's where all the creative work happens. And based on some of my previous experience, the challenges that occur here are often labeled as a productivity problem in that engineering isn't working fast enough or there's some other blockers in the environment preventing output and or value delivery, depending on the environment that, that you operate in. And the framing of that challenge really varies from environment to environment and that the words that are used to describe that challenge are very varied. And the partnership that happens to describe to, to solve that challenge are is really varied. So at a high level, those are some of the some of the things I saw. Yeah, and I think that that's obviously hits on two key themes of the podcast, right? There's this theme of how we measure and understand. Are we actually breaking through those silos? Are we delivering on outcomes? Do we have a shared notion of outcomes? And also the the organizational design and support of that. Have, have we built that? Have we created the right organization? And I think your, your fuzzy middle, I think a lot of the conversations I've been having lately uh, has been around these structures and some of them are expressing that the organizational hierarchies that we've got and, and the roles and the leadership functions. And then, how, of course, how those are connected across whatever silos you end up with. And more and more, I'm hearing it referred to, I think, as, as the messy matrix, this, this fuzzy middle thing, right? How, yes. how we structure that. So. Right. We've had a previous guest talk about the way that they've approached the shift to product and again, structuring two in the box, three in the box structures, those kinds of things, how you do it. You've taken a, and so before we get into the metrics, I, I, I think you've just taken a really interesting approach to implementing sort of the direction, the leadership and the team structure direction that you've put in place for your organization, but also making that visible all the way up to your board through the way that you're looking at metrics and measurement uh, and reporting. But before, before we get into that, can you give us some of the insights around you, you, how you think about team structure and how you think about leadership structure and, and what is effective and how you got to this, this point of the CPTO role? You take a step back and I guess set, set the scene by saying everything is contextual and I can probably only talk about this in the one context I have experienced, right? My company's been super supportive in establishing this role and it's working for us so far. So I'm going to cite a few things I've learned and a few things to keep in mind. You know, this is, this is not a magic bullet. If you merge two organizations together, you essentially inherit the strengths and weaknesses of each and merging them doesn't immediately solve any problems. And what I have learned is that company culture still wins out over the CPTO culture. 
So while we're trying to grow into more of a product-led organization over one that's sales and feature-led, it's still a huge effort making that shift, even with that organizational strength we've created. So my current organization is about 375 people, three-fourths of which are from the former engineering department. And I have an incredibly strong team, but I will say scaling myself to support that size team in a multidisciplinary context that's inclusive of design, engineering, product management, documentation, tech ops, product operations, it can be a challenge, um, even on the best day, right? (laughs) And in the past, I've always been highly aligned to my product partners in previous CTO roles. But even so, it's a step up if you haven't had a lot of previous hands-on product strategy and management experience. So if you're a CEO looking to hire into this role, you absolutely need to think about the ability of the candidates to scale. Now, in terms of, I'd say, impact, some of the things that I really, really, um, I'm going to say enjoyed, are budget simplicity. Oftentimes in the past, working in an engineering cost center, it, it gets really hard to flow budget kind of in and out to solve bigger opportunities operational or organizational problems, and I'm able to act with a lot more agility. So if I see an imbalance on one team, I can flow some dollars into design or product or engineering or wherever I think it needs to go. And I feel like I'm able to do that more easily, depending on what I think is right for the product in the moment. And I've never had that luxury before. I think the other thing is around training, training and developing culture. So we've established a culture manifesto that applies now to our entire organization. And even though we haven't fully solved the problem, we're working together now to promote that product-led message. And we have consistent words and themes across the organization that is helping us do that. And I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit more about that in this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think in the end, we, we create these organizational structures and then we have to, they end up with certain strengths. For example, you can, you can create one culture, creating a single budget, of course, as, as you said, have, has benefits. I've, I know I've, I've done the same thing. And then we have to manage to, the, to some of the shortcomings. So I guess if you could, so th- those are some of the strengths. And I think if, and, there's, and of course, there's, there's the scaling questions as well. And there's the interaction, as you said, between the rest of the organization, right? How uh, the interaction with sales, with, with getting things to customer, customer su- success and the rest. So, and that said, of course, I think we have seen a, a good number of organizations take this approach. I've actually had a colleague of mine who recently joined a, a unicorn. Uh, he sent me this article saying, this is exactly how we're structuring it, is, is Sagel's article. So oh, I think awesome. it's, the, the great thing is it's, it's made an impact. And yeah. if you could you know, speak some of your more recent learning since you put these ideas and these thoughts out there mm-hmm. in terms of what works, what to look for, you know, what signals get amplified, what signals get suppressed, really, I guess in the end, as, as, the, as the leader of, of this organization, uh, what you need to focus on because you've created a whole set of benefits by bringing these things together. And so now, of course, in our roles, we need to manage to, the, to, <laughs> to, to whatever the, the, the shortcomings or the challenges of that are. So by breaking through some yeah. silos, but of course, then, then uh, creating a structure that ha- has its own challenges. So what do you uh, consider week to week and day to day in terms of the, the things that you need to focus on? Yeah, no, that's great. So I will tell you, when I first came into this environment, I'll, I'll um, talk a little bit about how the group was structured. It was a combined technology team with a, a general manager model that had three product silos. So on the surface, great work was happening in those silos, but there was a strategic imperative to integrate products, which had come into the company through acquisition. And with the technology team taking direction from three different places, progress 
really hadn't been made on the platform strategy or what I'm going to call common initiatives that required cross-group collaboration. And so product development practices were not mature or the same across groups because there wasn't a single voice advocating for that role. So the siloed model was um, integrated into what we've been talking about, the CPTO organization. And the journey began to create strategic clarity and operational strength as a single organization. And the basis of that environment was one, now I should also mention that it was focused on output production and much less on the behaviors that would enable learning, continuous improvement, and most, most importantly, continuous outcome generation. So early, early on, about 16 months ago, the role required the organization to be restructured and to build a team based on an environment that understood how to bring work to people rather than people to work. And in parallel, we started the journey, you know, from project to product and away from output to outcomes, right? And so the structure then evolved into teams that were building things and long-lived teams that had roadmaps, that had alignment to their product leaders and over time, and we're still working on it, you know, it's not perfect yet, where um, we are designing designing outcomes that each of the teams are, are, are managed to. Now, some of the things I also want to make reference to that helped enable that environment make a few things. So we had to accelerate lean product development adoption. So as I mentioned earlier, I was, I was really excited about being able to enable that for that opportunity for this combined team. And the CPTO role obviously gives you the, the ability to directly influence product management practices. And in previous roles, I wasn't able to. So this was very, very intriguing to me. And I, I, so I'll take a few minutes to talk about the strategies that we're using. So first, we have a dedicated coaching team, which operates in both of our US and our India locations, and they're multidisciplinary. So we have folks that are experienced in both tech and product. And the aim here was to take these super talented individuals away from the tactical and move them to the strategic. So amongst other things, they're helping to teach the organization about the principles of flow, deploy test hub, facilitate team health uh, workshops and assessments, and help us solve specific problems in the most strategic parts of our portfolio. And this represented a, a big change for the organization in I'm going to say two ways. We repositioned our scrum masters that were previously local problem solvers. They were attached to specific teams or managers, and we repositioned them to be coaches for bigger outcomes. And so I'm sure you've seen scrum master as a project manager anti-pattern before, and I really wanted to avoid that. And so um, elevating that message as part of this, as a part of this organizational strategy was key. So can you pause it for a second? And that's super yeah. interesting because I think I, I have seen this definitely this this success pattern of creating a, a team that helps the organization improve as yes. and making that a first class thing. So what did you call this team? How big is it? Who does it report yeah. to? Yeah. Great to hear more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is um well, we call them enterprise coaches. It's not big. It's four people right now in an organization that's supporting about 375 people. In its current context, Mick, it reports to my chief of staff. And so we have a head coach and um, she has a few people that work for her. And what, what this did was it eliminated the notion that scrum masters 
were inherently engineering related staff and we were able to push them broader across the value stream. And some of the people, by the way, that we pulled into this group either worked for a PMO or they worked directly for engineering managers. And one of the first things that we did once, once we put that team in place was that joint product and engineering culture statement with value statements that articulate how we aspire to behave and collaborate together. And so we're really clear about our opinions on how we manage work in progress, how we balance debt and performance need versus new features, how we learn. And so the coaches take that to the teams. They bring tools to the teams, but most importantly, they meet the teams where the team is in their journey rather than just handing out practices and tools and expecting people to catch up. So it's very much a one-to-one coaching model based on where, where the most strategic need is. And so over time, I expect that, you know, the teams are going to elevate themselves to a certain level of proficiency and not everybody's there yet, but that's okay. Because the philosophy is um, we meet you where you are rather than the other way around. Okay. So this seems like a key way that you've been actually able to to accelerate this on and get this into the teams without falling back. Because obviously what happens often is uh, we, we create these organizational changes and then things just snap back to the old behaviors. Right. That's right. And so um, this enterprise um, enterprise coaching team is key to is key to accelerating is the key to keeping the organization on track. Right. And not falling back to old behaviors using the tools and practices that we've been talking about. And I'm also using team health assessments. And I'd love to talk about that in a few minutes or at the right time. But that's another way to another tool we're using to equip managers with a better understanding of what's happening on their team and enables them to determine what the best path to increasing their performance is. Okay, yes, we'll definitely get to that when we look about how to measure and assess and the rest. But in terms of this, so is this team, I'm just curious, are they actually helping the the teams, so the enterprise coaching team are they and the coaches, are they helping the teams formulate the business outcomes or just understand how to work with their business counterparts and and apply these, these concepts of product and flow? All of it. So they're helping them formulate their business outcomes. And so as an example, we run, we run workshops in which the product teams, the engineering teams, inclusive of the marketing teams as well, they're coming together to define what the strategy is. What are the, what are the few things they're going to do to achieve the strategy? What are the outcomes? What are the key results? Once they've got that in place, um, the coaches are helping the team track those things. They're putting the tools in place that they then need. And by the way, TaskTop is a great example for a certain set of our teams where they're, they're using that as, they're using that as a way to, to manage flow in their environment and better understand the, the work that's coming through, the speed at which it's coming through, et cetera, et cetera. So like I said, they're, they're managing them from soup to nuts. But they're not staying there. They might stay there for four to six weeks on, um, you know, say greater around a fifty percent capacity, and then after a quarter, it weans, it weans, it weans down. And at that point, they're on an on-call basis, where, say, the team leader needs help, needs help with a certain thing, they can call up and and get that help. Okay, great. Yeah. And okay, so, and beyond the enterprise coach team, any other things you want to highlight? Yes. Yeah, so beyond the beyond the enterprise coach team, I think I want to highlight highlight the use of a product operations team because what happens with the enterprise coaches coming in, 
they're, they're doing the enablement, but at the end of the day, once the coach goes away, there needs to be an operational team in place that is then supporting the management, the management of that data, of all of that information that's been created. All too often in an organization that's scaling, we kind of, we tend to forget that operational part. And I think it's a, it's a really interesting and important part of an environment that's growing like this. Um, now is the right time to put that foundation in place that enables product leaders and technology leaders to, to come together. And, and, and like I said, my product operations team is, is helping a lot with that. And it's still, look, it's still maturing. Um, some of this is only about six to eight months in. And so that pairing of product operations and the enterprise coaches has been a powerful tool in this environment. Yeah, I think that's, and from what I've heard from you as well, I think that's, that, that's so key, right? Because one thing is, is understanding the new ways of working around flow and outcomes, let's say. And right. then the other thing is, and I think as you said, the, the fact that you designed it to be transient is, is also really important because the other thing is operationalizing that and making that improvement of daily work and that, that new, those new ways of working just a regular part of how we plan, how we manage, how we measure. So, right. okay. So those are two key pieces. Are there, are there any others? I don't want to segue too quickly into the metrics role, but I, I do want to talk about um, the project to product transition and the importance of that, right? So in my current role, I've learned that Look, the structure, the st- when, and when I say the structure, I don't mean the team structure. I mean the product strategy and the related product structure and hierarchy that comes with that is so Im- incredibly important. I think the, the information structure that you create around, around it becomes the basis of that transition. And once that's well understood, it becomes much easier to orient teams and outcomes around that structure. And I think without it, it causes a lot of confusion within the CPTO organization itself and in other functions, such as marketing, as an example, who are responsible for the message to the broader organization and customers about the value of products. Without it, the language gets quickly misaligned and an inordinate amount of time has to be spent cleaning it up. I think that's a key thing. And once that structure and the product hierarchy are developed, you can craft roadmaps that define and connect key results that collect and prioritize learning and define measurements of progress and actions that exist across guess, several time horizons. I think those those are the key things to highlight. Okay. And I think that connectivity the- is important, is, is the key thing. That connectivity and creating an information hierarchy that everyone aligns around. Yeah, and I think th- this is where things get really interesting, right? Because in the end, we've got the, the, sort of the, the team structure and the hierarchy. And then you've got this other kind of connectivity, which, which in the end ends up being this, this value stream network, the way that, that, the way that teams connect to marketing, the way that teams have layered dependencies between each other. And I think one of the most interesting, and this is where, yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to get into the metrics discussion very quickly here, because yeah, right. the, the way that I look at this is, actually this is just piggybacking off the, the more recent work from Gene Kim and uh, Steve Spears, is that there's, there's kind of two things at play, right? There's the structures that we create, and those are the team structures, and those are the, the product structures and taxonomies, all of that. And then there's mm-hmm. the dynamics. So we kind of configure this, the organization. And this was really actually enlightened to me when I started hearing them talk about it this way. It helped me understand, okay, how do we, you know, how should I measure the organization? What tool, first of all, for structures, we, we've got these new toolkits, right? Like things like team yeah. topologies, things like understanding how the STO models are two in the box, three in the box models work from, from other technology organizations, right? The two pizza yeah. teams and everything else. So we're getting to the point where we've got this better capital for structure that, that you've been applying and I've, I think you've innovated around with, with what you've created in this CPTO organization. 
And then there's the dynamics, which is we need to assess, is it working or is it not? Do, do I have enough of the enterprise coaches or, or do I need twice as many? Do they need to focus right. more on the mar- sales and marketing side of it? Or do, do they actually need to focus on, on helping the teams understand how to use our new platforms that we're building? So yeah, this, this structure and dynamics. And the way I've, I've looked at it personally is that we've got these languages for understanding that you and I have been exchanging. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we need to, for understanding the, the different patterns that we're using for structuring the organization. And then we have to measure the dynamics. Is, is it working or is it not? And so right. the, obviously the, the goal of the flow framework was to make it easier to measure those things, right? Is to, to ease, are, are, are we actually getting more value to customers? Are we in a situation where, to your point earlier, we have an unproductive organization or is there some other disconnect that's preventing our productive organization for, for getting the right things to customers or for, for getting code deployed quickly enough or value deployed quickly enough. Mm-hmm. So let's now switch because I think, again, the, what's, what's been so key is along this journey, the way that you've applied measurement and metrics and the way actually, I think for a lot of us, what's happened, uh, the way they were previously applied to you, right? Because you, you, you came into an organization that was already measuring engineering productivity and the like. But you've rebooted that whole system as you also recreated the structure for the organization. And what's, I think, fascinating about your approach and so effective about your approach is, is how you did those two things together. So, so, so tell us how. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, so much to be said here. So, you know, the key thing that you just talked about is we talked about product structures and we talked about team structures, right? And we know that those two things absolutely must be aligned, no matter what happens. But the key thing, I want to start by talking about the team first. Um, So one of the things that I've been working on getting off the ground this year in the context of the enterprise coaches is the team health coaching workshops and assessments. And some of it, um, some of it's homegrown and some of it is leveraging frameworks that exist externally. But the idea here is that our team health assessments give us a better understanding on where we need to grow within the team, as well as the organization. And so what we've done here is we're asking questions around a few key areas. First is clarity. How well does your team understand the vision? How are they planning for that vision? And what is their role in that vision creation? And the second thing is foundation. Is your team able to apply agile principles and values or are there blocks? The third is performance. Does your team have confidence that they can deliver value? The fourth is leadership. Are the leaders around you, product, engineering, management, et cetera, et cetera, are they being effective? And team culture, how well is your team working together? So in my current context, we have over 30 teams completing the survey. And then the results are going to be used to drive change at a team, product, program, or value stream level based on what the results tell us. Um, And we have questions that cover all five of those categories. So I'll give a quick example. Um, The first five returned all mentioned that the teams had great clarity on future state and this iteration's planning, which is fantastic. But there was a big hole in mid-level planning, aka roadmaps. So we are working on internal facing roadmaps to overcome this gap for this set of teams. Another example is the team having predictable velocity. Um, Our teams rated themselves generically low on this area, and we're using Flow to help the teams understand and be aware of their open work in progress, which is often what keeps teams from having a predictable velocity. They'll start work, something higher priority interrupts them, and then they end up cleaning that work, but they end up leaving something else on the side. 
and of course, when they do that, their velocity is impacted. So through flow, we're able to see interruption, the blockers, how many times it's happening, and working with teams individually to complete remaining work in progress before starting new things. Some of the other things we're doing is a team skills matrix for each manager. So we use those, we're using that matrix again. So that is something that's homegrown. And we use these to help individual grow. We crowdsource for skills when they're when they're needed for knowledge transfer or we need to train within for leveraging um, Pluralsight's learning tools here. So we built those out as a way to augment teams. But the goal is to make the teams more cross-functional through both internal and external training sessions. And look, the idea here is that these tools are given to managers to continue to assess and improve. And as you well know, when one problem gets fixed in one area, something, it moves to another area. And what we found is that it's empowering for managers to have this framework because it's their job to manage performance. And really it's my job to provide them the tools and the environment to do that in. And the, the last point I wanna make around this is it, it really, this approach really emphasizes the team and the people on it. All too often, people are called resources. And I will tell you, it's such a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> people are people. Yes. And we have to create an environment in which they can thrive and, and make the team responsible for the health of their own environment and elevating their own performance as an organization. And so um, I'm, I'm using these tools as a as a way to communicate to leadership, as a way to communicate to the board. This is the ecosystem of people we have. And these are the things they're working on, but more importantly, this is the health of the team. And these are the levers I'm pulling and their managers are pulling to, to help elevate their performance. And that message has been resonating. So far, so good. And by the way, I haven't been through the whole ecosystem yet. I mentioned 30 teams. We, we still have many more to go, but we will get there in the next few months. <laughs> Okay, excellent. So I think so you've made this this measurement of team health the first class thing, and the teams see their own health scores and are respond. They're actually responsible for creating the conditions and changes to improve those scores. Or how do you approach exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah, they're they are they are responsible for um, understanding what their scores are and changing those scores. Right. So they're given the tools to change the scores if they need help. They know they have to ask for help, but most importantly, they're all understanding that it's their own combined responsibility. And this is the important thing in this model. It's a product leader and a technical leader combined responsibility to look at the health of the team, right? It's not the engineering manager alone or the product leader alone. It's really, it's a team effort. So you do, it is a two in the box type yes. effort and, and accountability for effort. helping the team improve. Yes, that okay. is right. And the way that we're measuring it is using the metrics I just described. Okay, excellent. Yeah. So, okay, great. And and you've actually created these on these metrics on your own. Yeah, of course, yes, borrowing with all the great ideas out there. Borrowing all the great that. ideas, absolutely. Um, there are some great thought leaders out there, yourself yeah. included, right? We've borrowed a ton of things from out there, but we've put it together in a custom way that um, gets us to the outcomes that we need. Yeah, and I have been. You know, it, it is. I think that we're seeing more and more of this. By the way, I think that the importance of having clarity on team health, on on people's happiness. I think that I think there's there's. It's interesting to see the sophistication with which you've applied this and how effective that's been as well. So, um, so because we we've you know we we both have that we have that 
and I think that this is an interesting thing is when we're back to that point of understanding the dynamics, a key aspect yeah. of the dynamics is, is, is work getting easier for teams. Are they feeling more connected to outcomes and to the customers? They have that, that, that clarity. Are they, if there's training gaps or skills gaps or any of that, do they, do they feel empowered to fill those? So I think, I think what you're, the way I'm interpreting what you're saying is that in terms of measuring the dynamics, a first class part of that for you is, is actually measuring the, 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 the team health there. So. Absolutely, absolutely. And there's um, beyond that, and you recently did a podcast with Manuel Pais and his most recent book on managing team interactions. You know, another part of team health are the interactions that they have with the teams in the quote unquote matrix. And we've recently applied some tools from, from his framework as well so that teams can better document and better understand what their interaction models need to be, where there is a dependency, or they are a service team providing a product to another team. And without that lack of clarity, it gets incredibly difficult for teams to operate. And um, anyway, that, that framework book was excellent. And there's a bunch of great tools in there that yeah. we're taking advantage of as well. Okay, great. And I think it is that, because right? so you'd have a very happy team. I've actually had this experience where we had one team that was very happy and they were just building frameworks, but no one was using those frameworks. They were just happily building frameworks. So if, if you've got the happiness, but it's not connected to the outcome to the customer they're serving, which if it's X as a service team, that's, that's obviously a, another team that they're supporting or, or multiple teams or directly supporting a customer. We, we need that balance, right? So how do you think about, in the end, the, Tell us measuring flow and outcomes because you've. It, it sounds like, and it'd be great if you get to get through this in, in more sure. detail. You've actually given the teams visibility and responsibility for that as well. So, and if you could actually tell us more of that journey as well, because I think I've learned a lot in terms of how and there there are two levels of this, right? In, in your role, you're what you're doing is you're creating the conditions and the structure and the dynamics by which your teams can thrive, but you're also responsible to 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 your leadership to your board in yeah. terms of presenting that and making sure that uh, you've got them thinking the right way. So maybe let's start with the team aspect yeah. in terms of yeah. how you've looked at it. And then, and then let's, let's go to the leadership aspect. Absolutely. In terms of the team aspect, I like to think about, okay, I like to think about data, um, data as a universe, right? And there's a universe of data. We just spent a lot of time talking about team health, but there's data around product health. There's data around customer health. Um, there's data around what I'm going to call engineering health, right? I mean, these are all the best practices of thought leaders like yourself, Melissa Perry, Nicole Forsgren. When you think about how all that information comes together, enabling, enabling teams with just the right information at the right level so that they can see it and make decisions based on all of that. And so what we're striving to do right now is little by little introduce that data to the team. Um, I'd be lying if I said we had it perfect in my, in my perfect world. I'd have a dashboard for every team that had their team health data, their product data, customer data, right? Their engineering data. We're far from that. But um, what we are is aware that that universe of data is incredibly important to us. And day by day, we're working on pulling it together and creating that information hierarchy I described. But I want to talk about flow and, and specifically how it's how we've applied it with a certain set of teams. You know, we for one of our products, and I'll step back and tell a story um, in this environment, you know, 
we have a great product in my portfolio that has been doing incredibly well. But when I arrived here on the scene, they were in the process of building, I'm going to put it in air quotes, the next generation product. And I was told that that next generation product would be done in two years. And then I'd see something that would arrive very magically this, this year <laughs> at the tail end of this year at the start of 2023. But when I started peeling the onion back on this rather large initiative, it was spaghetti. And I could probably spend another hour telling that story because there, there hadn't been milestones set up. There, there were an outcome set up. They were just building. They were building features. And at some point, the hypothesis is that they'd be done. And so we started to break that project down into milestones. Those milestones had outcomes tied to them. And um, there we started talking about the value stream and how important looking across all the teams mattered. And this was the environment that we deployed Tasktop in over the past few months. And this is a product where we are, um, we have the existing product in the market and we're building the interface for the new one in parallel. And naturally, there is a conflict between the two because you're still running and operating the current, the current product, and we have a large customer base on it. And what we found is that there was a lack of understanding on the teams, and not just in engineering and product, but also inclusive of the customer success, success and support teams that supported the customers in the context of the number of bugs we were fixing, the speed at which we were fixing them. So we applied the tool. And um, I want to talk about a few a few learnings. It was incredibly insightful because without the data, everything was a bit of conjecture and what uh, you know what um, the loudest person's opinion was. So in this context, when a bug was coming in, it's assigned a priority. And very basically, P1 being the most, P1 and P2 are less, P3 and P4 are the lowest. We had an SLA for the P0s to P2s because most software companies operate this way. And so we found using Flow that we were able to fix P0s and P1s very quickly. P2s and P3s, interestingly, took the same amount of time. But in looking at this, we realized that P3 bugs were being completed more than the P0s to P2s combined. And again, in this context, we learned that P the P3s were the lo lower hanging fruit and maybe not worth the time when you're looking at delivery value. And this was a really interesting insight that the leadership team explored, that we were spending too much time on those things rather than working on other things instead. And so, or the other theory was, is that these P3s were actually P2s and the priority should have been changed. We discovered it's the latter, and obviously we're working on better defining our priority levels so that we're able to accurately define what value we were delivering. And this also now gave us the opportunity to look across outside of product and engineering to customer support and the customer operations team and our, and our product teams to decide that we're adding value when we work on any of these priority three bugs. And we proved when we looked at flow time, we were completing we were completing um, solving for the P0s and P2s within our SLA requirement. Until that moment, development teams and our customer operations team often thought that we were taking longer than expected because things were bring, being brought in mid-sprint, et cetera, et cetera. And now we have that SLA and it enables them to deliver and manage the message to customers. Um, and we didn't have this before. So to kind of put it all together, rather than counting the numbers of bugs, we're getting now prepared to communicate differently 
to customers specifically around predictability, which is what they were looking for. And um, the findings in Flow help us better understand our end-to-end customer experience across many departments. And obviously, as you well know, this is going to help us build better products. And there's many, many learnings like this. And we're going to obviously keep going. This is just the icing on the cake. And we only just deployed, I said, two to three months ago. But the learnings are coming in rapidly. And it's changing the dynamic. And it's really, really exciting to see, right? The predictability, number one. And number two, ensuring that we're delivering value and that we're working on the right things because if we're not, it creates it creates time and capacity for us to work on the next generation solution that I started talking about at the beginning of the story. That, that's an awesome story, yeah. Sajel. That's because I, it, it's it's amazing these like how many of these kinds of systemic issues there are. But you know, when we yeah. you know this is complex work, right? No one and it's just it gets difficult in these cases to see the forest for the trees. It seems everyone you know you hope everyone's classifying things the right way. But all of a sudden, if and and you hope, of course, the way that input's coming in, let's say from the yeah. sales, from the from the customer side, the customer success side, wherever it's from the support side, wherever it's coming from. But I can't tell you how many times I've I've heard that same story where it's taken months or longer to discover that that actually the 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 work that the team is doing isn't all the highest priority stuff because things are being misclassified, and then everyone's yeah. upset with that team or that or that that whole value stream because they're not getting enough of the of the net new work done. Meanwhile. I think what you actually let me just ask you this. So what you saw is yeah. that they were actually those teams were doing work. They were working. You know, their, their productivity was high. Yes. But this unintentionally, this this whole systemic issue that that was hidden uh, in in classification, how work was being prioritized, mm-hmm. was what was eating up their capacity. It was, and I'll tell you the second thing. It was caught without an understanding of our SLA. It was causing an unintended strain or misunderstanding between the teams. Because now imagine this, the customer team who's responsible for communicating the custom, to the customer is sending something to us and they're feeling like we're just not operating fast enough. Right. And it's affecting their ability to do their job and yeah. communicate in a meaningful way with customers. That inevitably causes strain in relationships. Now that they can see the data, they know how fast we can fix it. They can communicate to customers in a predictable way. And they, they can then get on to focusing on other things. That's been really eye-opening. Yeah, and, and it, it feels small. By the yeah. way, the story feels small, but in the big picture, well, it's it's, it's had it's an impact. <laughs> fascinating because earlier today, as we're revamping some of our processes, as as we always do, we realized yeah. we have we, we you know we need a two point five. It has to be a. It can't be just two and three. It's gotten right. to the point where we're misclassifying things as two that should have been threes. And it's, it's almost the exact same story that you just told me. But, but we came to that conclusion today was this, this, we, we actually need that further level of granularity or too many things of get escalated that actually could have waited to be properly planned rather than, yes. rather than to be done, done instantly and causing the teams to be too reactive and all, all those things that we know about and take away from capacity for new feature work and, and so on. So right. yeah, it's, it's just, I think I know what's fascinating is you, you discovered it that quickly, right? Because my lessons from all this is, is this, like you said, you improve here and then you realize you need something else. So yeah, it's, it's just an, the data, making that journey data-driven and empowering the teams to actually find these things, I think is what's so key. Totally. And so I want to answer the second part of your question. I know I talked um, about the team, but also communicating to, communicating to leadership. So what I'll start by saying is that the way that I'm changing, the way that I'm changing the narrative is by adding and not subtracting from our existing metrics. 
And specifically, in order for leaders to adapt the new metrics more fully, I think we need, we need to let the teams and leaders get comfortable with a new story told by new metrics so that they start ignoring the old metrics, which have no story. <laughs> and, and I will tell you, when I arrived here, look, when I arrived here last year, the types of metrics that existed in the environment didn't really they, they told a story of lots of work happening. So data like story points, velocity, percentage of roadmap completion, et cetera, et cetera. Those were all part of um, essentially what I was handed when I walked in the door. But we've gone from a transition of um, adding metrics and taking away legacy ones. And it's been a journey over a year. And I can proudly say that after a year, some of the old metrics that we had, we are no longer presenting those. And it really has saved us so much time and effort from creating probably 80 pages of slideware that didn't deliver value to the organization or to the customer. And most importantly, nor did it give an accurate depiction of true delivery progress and challenges. At the end of the day, the thing I wanted to know, I want to know all day, every day is what's slowing us down and how can I enable teams to eliminate those blockers or time-wasting activities that impact our speed. And so... Essentially, we stripped away story points, velocity, percentage of roadmap, some legacy quality metrics, and we've replaced them over time with things like product service data, some of the the Dora metrics, flow data like we just described, team health metrics, and there's product data mixed in there as well, obviously. But as a whole, right, we're telling a more complete story that is a combination, is a great combination of both leading and lagging indicators. You know, it also involves education for leaders in the environment to help them understand how this newer data essentially gave them a much better understanding of how investments were delivering value. And so very early on, um, all I did was education around these types of metrics. I didn't just drop them in. I kept the old things there and introduced some of these new concepts. And as I was introducing them, started introducing the data each quarter. And we are where we are today. And I am, the journey continues. And I'll say, look, in a small nutshell, I've never seen, and even in my past experience, um, when I was a CTO at Thomson Reuters, a rip and replace never works. You try to rip something out and replace it with something new. People miss that. They, they miss seeing the old data if they don't understand what the new data is going to tell them. A gradual transition over time in which leaders in the organization, that you take them with you in a phased way is super important. I'm, I'm a huge believer in a one small change at a time. So one small change at a time delivers big change. And I think that's what we're seeing here. But Okay, so Sejal, because this story I think is, is, for me, it was so, so profound and just how relatively quickly you did it, right? So I'm just going to try to recap some of it and, and sure, tell me where I go sure. wrong because I think it's it's just such an amazing pattern for for change and making sure that the organization that all the way at the CEO the board level is measuring the same things that that you are and they're driving those customer outcomes right because if you've got one set of metrics and I think I know a lot of people in in, uh, in my position in your position other uh, other leaders of technology organizations if they're being measured completely on roadmap completion, there's 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 something wrong, right? And but yes, those yes. if those things don't go away, because if you're measured on roadmap completion, you're not being sufficiently agile, sufficiently responsive to your customers, right? right. Yet you've got leaders who may have that's perhaps that's all I've done. You've got people sitting on your board who are very mm -hmm. accustomed to that, and mm -hmm. and it gives them some kind of comfort. So you somehow 
And how long was this? Was this a year? How long did it take? I think it took you um, about a year. About a year. About a year to do this, right? So this, yeah. I think this is, to me, one of the most important takeaways from what you've done recently is that you actually, without ripping that, that comfort that they had, educated them on this. And, and if I could, you started basically augmenting the board deck, if I've got this right. Yeah. Yes. With the new metrics, so you didn't pull out the roadmap completion. No, no. You started adding the the flow metrics, the team health, and the like, and then you moved the stuff into the. How many board meetings later you moved? You actually moved the old metrics into the appendix. Into the appendix. So, yeah. um, actually, what I did in my first board meeting is introduced things like the flow framework, the Dora metrics, different kinds of product. Oh, metrics. so you educated in the first. I did education. Oh, okay. I did education in the first one. Right. I said, "This is how I think about the world," and. Right next to right next to um, how they were measuring. So, so this is what I have, and I obviously don't have any of this information today, but I will accumulate this. And so by the second board meeting, Nick, I introduced one new set of data, and I moved parts of it into the appendix. By the third board meeting, I moved the entire in, the entire set of legacy metrics into the appendix, and as well as introduced a new set of data. And by this next one, it's gone. I'm, it's no longer even in the appendix. The, the front part will have the flow metrics, the team health data, and the product service data. Now I need to do a lot more um, around the product health data and tracking more on the outcomes because I've only introduced, I've only introduced those outcomes and KRs that go along with them in the past quarter. That's okay. They'll see that. And for the next quarter, they'll see outcomes of those, right? So it was education and quarter by quarter introducing a new data set into the mainstream and moving and moving some of the legacy data into the appendix before we were able to take the entire thing out completely. But it, it took a year. That, that is so awesome. <laughs> so, but, and now, of course, I'm wondering what happens at the, if now two meetings from now someone asks you, but where are we at with roadmap completion? But percentage. <laughs> Yes. So somebody might ask that. Um, just by the way, there's. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they did. And at that stage, I'm going to have to point them at the outcome-based metrics and point them at the flow metrics and say, look, these are the things. These are the things we're driving our organization to as, as a replacement to those roadmap completion metrics. And by the way, I've got roadmaps. And um, those roadmaps are pretty clearly laid out at this point. So I hope that roadmaps with outcomes on it and the flow data around it with enough education, they're going to be able to see the difference and the impact of those things. But make somebody could ask, you, one, nev- one never knows. Well, but I, and I think the, the way that you articulate it is like, no, these are the, because th- in the end, we all want great business outcomes for, for our customers, our staff, That's our companies. Right. And right. just the fact that you're always quickly drawing that line between the metrics, the matter to you for driving those outcomes and the actual business outcomes, it's, it's, it's all any board can ask for, right? Because everyone yeah. wants predictability from the activities right. that we're doing for those outcomes. And hopefully, again, as I think we, we all have something to learn from, from doing these education sessions for the board as well. That's key. Those old metrics were not predictive of outcomes, right? Because yeah, the, the right. teams couldn't learn quickly enough, the teams couldn't adapt quickly enough, and there were these, obviously these, these systemic issues. So that's, right. so that's, right. that's just an, an amazing story. And as part of the education, um, I mentioned the fuzzy middle at the beginning of this. I, I have a diagram that demonstrates what that is. So I essentially started, I started the education with that, that this is what product development is, and this is the fuzzy middle. 
and this is what we use. There is a body of metrics that, that we use, right? And by the way, so we talked about coaches as well. Many of the project managers and or scrum masters essentially were responsible for building this data once a quarter. Yeah. And so it freed up their time very, very massively. You can imagine the organizational effort that went into producing slideware that was in the range of 80 to 100 slides Wow! just to be presented for each, for each project. And it was really, really project-oriented at that time. So you had dozens and dozens of projects running rather than there being a product view, which was the other transition. Um, and I should say in terms of education, that was really, really important is the education around projects to products. Just a fantastic story. And, and again, I think the, the key thing is the things that you did to move le- both leadership and teams and the structure this quickly. And of course, then now what you're doing uh, with all of this data-driven continuous improvement is, is, is just incredible. So we are at time right now. Sejal, any, any other things you want to kind of leave the audience with in terms of your journey, where you're going next and anything else they should be looking at other than and where they should be following you, of course, because I think everyone's going to be eager to, to learn more of what you've been learning and will be learning. So. Great. Um, so I, I'll make mention of a few things that this any journey that any of you take is not a multi-week journey. It's a multi-multi-month journey. So just be cognizant of that. Be patient. Change change takes time. And sometimes not everything you try works. I've had plenty of that. Plenty of things I've tried that haven't worked out. And you test it. You try it. You realize it doesn't work and you do something else. Completely acceptable. And, and a lot of that's a lot of that's gonna happen. So I'm gonna make two other points. You know, we didn't talk about we talked about the CPTO role and how um, how that role's been impactful in this organization. I will tell you that none of these things are also unsurmountable in a CTO and CPO model. They are surmountable there too, but I think it's essential. You know, I'd say you must have the right leaders in, in either role and a leader who understands the importance of that partnership. I mentioned at the start of this, I predominantly spent my career in the matrix model and I've had a range of experiences from average to great. And the great partnerships are one in which each person comes to the table with flexibility, humbleness, and recognizes the other for their capabilities and recognizes their own areas of opportunity and they're willing to work through any issue for greater good. Mm look, it's a bit of a yin and yang, and that can be hard to find sometimes. Now, in terms of where to follow, look, I'm also now a board director on the VSMC, so I thought this would be a good time to make mention of that. Excellent, um, yes. Earlier this year, I did some work on engaging CTOs and CPOs to better understand their level of understanding and their environments and the barriers to making that shift. And so I wrap this up. As I wrap this up, I want to just make mention of a few things I learned in a nutshell. There's too many to call out. It's interesting. Um, most CXO struggles with struggle with organizational change and inertia. All I heard about is the challenge that it takes to break through this friction and the conflict to start and make meaningful change just one step at a time. And just remember what I said, it's one thing at a time, small things make big change. And the second thing is that an organizational culture that doesn't recognize that performance and productivity are two different concepts, it really causes confusion on the data that should be used to make long-term performance decisions. Activity is rewarded in large organizations sometimes over outcomes and understanding that that action doesn't always equal value can be a difficult shift for leaders. 
So where, and if you're needing help on that, come visit, visit and engage in the learning on VSMC. And we're, we're also going to be running the next series of CXO sessions really, really soon. And so I'd love to have you come attend one or all of those so that we can continue the conversation there. Amazing. Thank you so much, Sejal. That was, that was just some, some incredible advice and stories for us. So with that, thank you so much. And we'll uh, post the link to your details as well as the VSMC in the note. Thank you very much. Thank you to Sejal for taking the time to join us today. For more, follow me and my journey on LinkedIn, Twitter, using the hashtags MitchPlus1 or Project of Product. You can also follow Sejal on LinkedIn. I have a new episode every two weeks, so hit subscribe to join us again. You can search for Project of Product to get the book. And remember that all author proceeds for supporting women and minorities in technology. Thanks, stay safe, and until next time.